You're listening to the ASI Podcast, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is Episode 3, Season 6, Shedding Intimacy Disorder. My name is Russ Shaw. ASI247.org is the website for this here podcast. On with the continuous unpacking of the infamous tape. What does this have to do with compulsive sexual behavior? It's triggered by intimate contact or the lack thereof in many cases. That is a bumper by The Killers, Runaways. Gonna play a little more of that tune because it's inspired this episode some. To catch you up, that is part of the uh, recording, right? The part that I played right after the intro, um, the, the tape that I referred to. These three shows have been inspired by... A recording I made in the back of my van, and I just, it was like 45 minutes to an hour, it was just me going, and I was just unloading all of the stuff that I hadn't shared a lot with you listeners, and doing that felt good, it felt sort of like popping an emotional zit, so to speak, because I feel like I have somewhat of a relationship with you, the audience, you know? And it had me really thinking about what I don't share with you, the audience, and its effect on the content here. Um, And I felt just wanting to purge publicly some of that stuff that I hadn't shared with you because of uh, some of the relational stuff going on with my family, with my marriage, with the trajectory of my life at the moment, goal setting, moving forward, that I stuff that I talk about, being congruent with what I what I talk about here, being real and authentic is something that I value in people, and I think it's part of why a lot of you listen, right? Like I'm not here faking this. This really happened to me. All right, this thing. Um, really got his hooks in me deep. And what does that mean, right? Our relationship with sexuality, my relationship with sexuality has been more than complex. Um, my talking about and sharing some of the stuff I share here has, you know, it's like part of me wants to say it's caused friction in my relationship or in my marriage, but really... You know, it's it's the way that I approach being honest and real with my spouse, you know. And yeah, I do this podcast and that's a thing and uh, it doesn't make things easier, right? And that's why it's taken me so long to do these episodes is because I'm moving forward and things are getting better, which is cool. But I wasn't going to just post shows based on non-movement. 
All right. Because I, I do believe in moving forward. I've talked about that's one of my personal philosophies. You know, you're, you're never just you're like you're like a ball on a hill. Uh, it's either rolling backwards or moving forwards. I, I, there's this stillness uh, to that role that can be a very positive, cool thing. But at the same time, you know, we're always moving. Uh, life is ticking Right. I've been fascinated with time because time is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter about your finances or your situation. Time keeps marching forward and none of us are going to escape it. And that's the funny, weird balance that I've had with this uh, podcast weighing what I share here because I don't really care that much what you think. All right. I love you guys. I do. But I don't really care that much what I share publicly and how my words may affect me personally. But I do care how my words have a ripple effect on my wife and my family. We get into that some. I I talk about that some. Uh, This is part three of that tape. This is the conclusion. Part three of three. Um, And listen, whether you're in a relationship or not... Uh, especially you single folks, man, if there's anything in my story that could help you in your journey, uh, because I'm, I, I got really good at running away, even in relationship. Uh, that's the question I guess I would raise to the single folks listening. What would it be like to share all of yourself with someone else? Sounds scary as fuck, right? <laughs> Some guys, especially guys, man, we may be tough, but there's a lot of us with this fear of intimacy or uh, fear of commitment because I got hurt once, you know, and there's a part of us that just runs away and it runs away down into ourselves. This is something I've learned. Uh, as for me, I've been married for going I'm 49 I've been married for going on 30 years almost all right um 29 years in March this month the end of this month man and I don't say that to say you know you should listen to me because I've been married so long no man I made just every mistake possible all right I'm not here to say you should emulate the things that I did or do because I'm different. I'm not you. And I've made a lot of mistakes, man. But relationships, there's something to the connection, the attachment, uh, the intimacy, the being naked. All right. Even the eroticism of it. That is so incredibly important. The humanity in being naked and unashamed. I uh, I was bringing up this topic and talking about doing these shows with my therapist, and we spent an hour talking about intimacy and in sexuality and being emotionally, physically naked with uh, your spouse, your love, right? What that means. And after that session, uh, I heard this song. This song came over, actually, my Spotify. And I, I just, like, I had a tear. I was sitting there in traffic just emotionally raw when this song came on. 
you know, after spending an hour talking about our emotional, relational history. And yeah, we were that young couple with the baby on the way. This is where where we were at, you know? Great question, right? Are we all just runaways at some emotional place? Somewhere deep inside, there's a craving for a good, true, honest kind of touch. And I think for a lot of us, especially us men, some of this takes the humility to even admit we don't got it all together. We, we don't even know. Right. I mean, sex education, sadly, I've heard for a lot of the uh, younger folks today is is pornography. You know, it's super unrealistic, super fake. Uh, But how much of us relying somewhat, uh, being dependent somewhat on pornography, where where does that lead us it's just like that runaway analogy, right? Like we all have this little kid in us. We all have this part of us that we just want to be. We just want to um, share all of ourselves with, with our spouse, with other people. But we feel like we're not going to be accepted. And then you get into a relationship, right? Into a, a love relationship and the clothes come off. And we don't really know what to do with that, Right. Sure, when a relationship is new and, you know, you got those lovey feelings going on and you just can't wait to rip each other's clothes off. But how do we sustain that? Is that realistic that we could sustain that? It's like the relational, intimate seeds of how we all got here, right? That's why this stuff is so important. Uh, That's why we're here. We're here because people had sex, right? And sure, you could bring theology into it and say that God made us and, you know, all this. I mean, that's great. Yes, that's that's also intimate, right? Talking about the higher power and are we alone? But I want to focus on bringing it right down to why do we want to run away? Why do we run run away? And for me, it seems like there's been this thing theme in my life over and over getting out of being stuck in this deficit of relational mindful courage the courage to not get defensive the courage to handle a conflict with not running away with understanding with my own presence of being 
with with and yeah I'm gonna say it guys understanding your own feelings right because the feelings that you have in your body that eroticism that that crave that appetite for touch that even wanting to blow your load rub one out you know I think it's more than that it's our bodies needing not just release but touch and to be present in to get out of our freaking heads like we're just a brain on a stick walking around or the body the appetite is calling you out of your head what if that's part of this conversation what if that's part of this running away and analogy or our embarrassment when it comes to talking about sex sexuality eroticism touch for me I've had to realize the truth of a touch that may not be true a touch that may be tainted and what that means in the realm of our love relationship and what really is the love story of, of our lives you listener you listening right now you have a love story. You're involved in a love story, even if you're single. All right? That's the funny thing about time, right? It just may not have happened yet. Maybe there's a lot of healing that needs to take place. But the funny thing is, is that we, we're out in the world and we interact with people and things happen. Relationships happen. Or maybe you'll choose to stay single. I don't know. And listen, there's nothing wrong with choosing to stay single. But when it comes to the reason that this show exists, it's feeling like you're not fully attached or connected with yourself, right? This is not single versus in a relationship stuff. This is you with your relationship with your own body, your own self. The question is raised, what came first the relapse or the runaway right but i think it's like that song says you know we can't wait till tomorrow to start working on this stuff and to start talking and connecting and and reattaching um we let the days and the weeks and the months go by i did you know and i didn't tell my wife about a lot of the stuff that I shared on the show and then I thought that she had heard it on the show and we just weren't talking about it you know but it turned out she hadn't heard it on the show it was just like another bomb going off there in couples therapy and so the last few years our relationship has been incredibly challenged all right and not because I'm out there cheating I'm not doing that all right I'm free from that the compulsive part of this thing and i talk about some of that in the in the recording here Uh, the compulsive thing is is over right but um my being in touch with my body you know and i've talked about that in this podcast for a long time um if you want to look at porn you're going to look at porn why is that Right, like what's going on in your body rather than having this kind of war on yourself um, what does it look like to actually, you know, it's kind of like being mad at your car when you can't drive it 
you know, it, I don't know if you've ever owned a stick shift vehicle, right? Or, you know, you're trying to shift it and you get mad at the car. Like, no, n- not not the car, you know? And that's part of what this is. And, and this has been my life is realizing how to peel off the armor, you know? As I've had armor on and I thought I took it all off. And nope, nope, my heart, my heart still got armor, you know? trying to cover the wounds with with some decorative armor or tattoos or something, right? So using this as a springboard, a continuation of the last podcast where, where I spoke about being a driver, right? And, and driving. And there's something to... There's something that's reflected in my heart by the getting behind the wheel and driving. I played that bumper from that tune. Um, I felt nothing like a warm, safe place until I hit that open road. That's that's an echo of my heart. And, and I wanted to play you a little bumper. Um, I wanted to play you something I recorded in the car and a little more bumper music because despite all of the unhelpful... Uh, teachings that I learned from religious professionals that said they were speaking for God. You know, taking these people way too seriously. Despite despite those things, uh, I'm still awake. I'm awake more than ever, and I'm alive. Wait, another minute can't you see what this pain has fucking done to The metaphor of the heart is an interesting one. If I could reach inside and pull my heart out. Some of those Rolling Stones lyrics come to mind. I have had large lacerations and wounds on my heart. And when I say heart, uh, I hope you realize I'm talking about my heart, my soul, the motivator, the metaphorical, this old Jewish metaphor of the wellspring, right? The the point at which life is pumped out to your extremities. As the body, right, gets nourished by the blood that the heart is pumping throughout it, our lives are nourished by the motivations of the heart, right? When, when someone has a broken heart, they usually, right, they got a broke up with or something like that, they go through a mourning period. The heart is broken. They don't feel like doing the things that they've done before. They're not motivated by or as they were before. So you see why this is a brilliant metaphor, right?
my heart's had wounds on it and some of those wounds have healed and turned to scars and I think that I've wanted to cover those scars with tattoos you know now I don't have any physical tattoos on my body but my heart you know some of these scars if if I could put tattoos on them they would be like words they would say things like redemption and uh, it is well with my soul you know old lyrics from that old hymn um misfit might be another one but I think that over the years doing this kind of creative work and journaling or voice fucking whatever this is right <laughs> this this pouring out here uh, I focused more on covering my scars with those creative tattoos with the kind of calligraphy font and wanted it to, to, to look just right, you know? And I spent more energy on that than I did going after some of the other wounds. Because where the lacerations have turned to scars, there's still wounds. There's still some lacerations there. And they may not be as big. Oh, hell, some of them are pretty big, you know? Some of them are still unhealed wounds and not scars. I think that's part of the art of life is realizing which are the wounds and which are the scars and going after the wounds until they're healed. And that's something that I'm really starting to push back on all the fear of all the shit that I don't understand and all of the things that I don't even remember and going after those wounds to heal those wounds on that busted heart right on my my heart my heart's got wounds and they still are healing and in and maybe that's my challenge for you the listener do you have the courage to heal every single wound and to and to honor the scars you know it's one thing to honor the scars and i think there's something to that but going after the wounds is is courageous sometimes intense uh, but very rewarding work yes this is like amateur cardiology on myself in a van while it's rolling down the highway that's something I've realized as someone who maybe like yourself seeking wisdom you know you're listening to a podcast maybe read some books. Everyone who does that, like myself, man, we're working through something. People who write blogs, they may be putting it out there like they're they're, you know, treating some social ill that's out there, but really there's there's something in us that's working on our hearts, some, you know? That's what it is. We're working through something some clogged artery or something right that's what that is that creative flow for some of us not not everybody does this kind of work right but i really do believe that man folks who write who do the writing the creating the storytelling even really good stories uh stranger things comes to mind like whoever wrote that was was working through something man that's some brilliant work right there
all the creators in the world that may say, like Sinatra, I did it my way. But even in that, he was working through something, you know? I strongly believe that about the chairman of the board myself. Me performing surgery on myself, that's a... That metaphor, um, that's not entirely true. I have uh, sought out other folks to help with this heart surgery, you know, picked up that very heavy phone and made an appointment with some people who, uh, mental health professionals, um, not using the, not using the uh, excuse of money. And and that's a thing, man. I get that. And I talk about that some here in the recording. Um, but I wanted to just reiterate that this is my story. You know, this is this is my journey. This is my healing. Uh, and, and I'm a self-proclaimed disaster. I'm not your teacher, right? Like, follow me. But if you're going to follow me, follow me into a path of healing. And my life's different than yours. Everyone is different. And just finding the folks you can trust and doing the work of getting into your soul and your left ventricle or your right ventricle or whatever freaking ventricle you've been neglecting like I have for so many years, it, it it's, it's rewarding. All right. It's very, it's painful, but it's a good kind of pain. Because on the other side of it, you start to see and feel, start to feel in in your body, in your being, the results. So, yes, but still, I deal with the the attitude of a runaway a little bit. But I'm working through that now, which is fucking awesome. And uh, here's another bumper for you. Um, I'm going to play... Another bumper from that tune, and then uh, you're going to hear the rest of my pouring out on the infamous tape. Question number two, answering uh, what is my current situation, my current condition, uh, state of mind, heart condition. I said that a lot in the podcast as well. Uh, here in 2018, uh, it's I've talked about. I want to, I want to be perfectly honest. I want to keep my flaws in the light. I've talked about that a lot in this podcast. I've talked about not, you know, I've said if I would, if I, if I'd relapsed, you'd be the first to know. I think I said that years ago on one of the podcasts. And then I've kind of grazed over, uh, some of the incidents that I've had. One of them being, uh, in 2012, I talked about, you know, I said, uh, I had a situation where I kind of grazed over it. Like, I feel like I didn't really tell you all uh, where I was at. And and it fe- I don't want to mislead people about my sobriety. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't like a, a full-on relapse, to use that word. Did you relapse, Russ? Well, I'll tell you the situation, all right? My wife went out of town, and for about a month... 
she was gone. And so one night, I and I have this kind of confidence in me, right? I, I used to use the words ex-addict a lot. Like, I'm an ex-addict. I don't, right? I'm not even interested in this porn stuff anymore. You know, I, I had that kind of bravado. And I had emails and people who would contact me and some Twitter messages and, and, and stuff like that where people were like, well, Russ, you don't, you don't know about today. Like today, it's, it's on your smartphone. It's, um, it's on the computer. There's this thing called Pornhub, which I had never seen, uh, right? Um, webcams, which are starting to become like, you know, the new, instead of people going to strip clubs, you know, webcams, Ross, like you've never seen some of this material that's so incredibly addictive. I even struggle with talking about that here because of some of you guys, like, I'm pretty sure you've heard of Pornhub and you've, you, you're, you're familiar with webcams or you wouldn't be listening right now, okay? So hopefully I'm not triggering some of that in you. Uh, but again, that's my approach to this thing has, has been, and will continue to be a shift in want to's like, why would you want to go looking for that material? For me, it was okay. Well, I'm going to check this stuff out because you know, I, I, okay. Like, I, I don't know what these things are. And, and, and so alone when my wife is out of town, after I've had a few beers, even, it's another one, alcohol. We'll talk about that, uh, being honest about that. Um, you know, I, I started looking at this material, and some part of me was triggered, to use that word. I was like, oh my God, these images. Yeah, in some of this shit, like, at first, the feelings that rose up were repulsiveness, I was repulsed by these image, these images, but at the same time, titillation, right? Like there was these conflicting emotions of titillation and arousal and disturbing, vile, just grossness. Like some of these images made me want to puke. Some of these women on these webcams... Um, younger than the age of my daughter. But at the time, this was 2012, all right? Um, did I masturbate to these images? No, actually, I closed the lid to the computer. I went in the other room and I masturbated. And that was the first time I had masturbated in, in what, since it was 2012. That had been seven years starting the podcast in... Uh, 2005. So there you go. That'll be the official stop the tape sound effect. Uh, we'll get back into it in a minute, but I wanted to unpack what I said right there and, and talk a little bit about relapse because uh, I didn't really want to see this as a relapse, right? Whether I wanted to or not, the cognitive dissonance around that word denial comes to mind, right? So let me get into the emotional part of what actually happened. Kind of an emo snapshot, if you will. Uh, 
I'm in a different place. So this was recorded like three months ago. This, uh, what you're hearing now, my wife and I are in a different place too. Uh, thank God a better place. So where I was at the time and yeah, this is August, 2012. My wife had gone to LA to see her family and I'm up here working, taking care of the animals and, you know, chatting with you all, some of the listeners back and forth and, you know, I'm challenged with the technology of today and, and I had this kind of cocky thing in me, like, I don't like this material anymore. I'm not afraid of, of it. You know, I, I'll be fine. I'm just going to check this stuff out. Um, I think on the show after this had happened, I mentioned some of that, my cocky attitude towards being an ex addict, but was my, confession like I think I just grazing over it the way I did here uh, I'm unpacking what uh, what exactly happened and not just what exactly happened but what I felt at the time um, so yeah there was the strong urge in me right these feelings were getting stirred up again and my feelings around sexuality may be different than yours, more than likely are different than yours. My, the what, what pornography stirred in me as a male survivor of childhood sexual assault, um, talking about those feelings of just gross, like this is gross and exciting at the same time. Like that was very familiar a feeling to me at the time, even though... I wasn't real conscious of it, you know, but yeah, a little more detail on it. I, uh, I closed the computer and I'm like, you know, no, I'm closing this now. Right. And I went to bed and that's when, you know, all these images running through my head as well as some of my own sexual frustration with my wife had been out of town for a month. Uh, I, I, I masturbated that night, right? Now, in front of the computer PMOing, no. But I realized that at that time that, you know, that thing's still in there, right? There's something still in there. But I never felt like I was trying to be or presented myself as the wise monk here um, on this show. I wanted to play you a clip from that Macklemore tune because it comes to mind as I'm talking about this. And I wanted to to talk about this clip a little bit. Uh, Because Macklemore, coming from, uh, like myself, uh, chemical dependency thing right addictions and how sex is different and how also the trajectory of the show talking about intimacy disorder and getting into some of the people that I disagreed with for a long time who said it's not an addiction Um, I'm not saying it's not an addiction by the way Uh, I, I think that having a behavior that's controlling you you're not controlling it is it's fairly obvious but just hey okay 
if that's the truth, if, if it's not an addiction, what is it? And so we're going to get into different layers of this, but, um, starting over has been a theme of my life for, uh, for a long time, not just with sex, not just with alcohol or drugs, um, but with my relationships with those things and my relationships with other people and even my relationship with uh, the creator of the universe uh, as a as a Christian guy, right? As a believer in Christ. There you go. One, two. Now, those three plus years I was so proud of and I threw them all away for two styrofoam cups. The irony. Everyone will think that he lied to me Made my sobriety so public There's no fucking privacy If I don't talk about it Then I carry a date A 08108 Then now it's been changed And everyone that put me in some box Is saying that I never was Just a false prophet that never came And will they think that everything that I've written Has all been fake Or will I just take my slip to the grave uh. What the fuck are my parents gonna say The success story that got his life Together and changed And you know what pain looks like When you tell your dad you relapsed And look him directly into his face The seat on your shoulders Deceivingly heavy weight Haven't seen tears like this on my girl In a while the trust that I once built Has been betrayed But I'd rather live telling the truth Than be judged for my mistakes Than falsely held up Giving props, loved, and praised I guess I gotta get this on the page Feeling Sick and helpless, lost the compass where soap is I know what I gotta do, and I can't help it One day at a time is what they tell us Now I gotta find a way to tell them God help them Yeah, one day at a time is what they tell us Now I gotta find a way to tell them to get back what we lost um throwing a question mark on the back of that stirs cognitive dissonance for me and yes while i do love that song starting over by macklemore and i do value being honest over props and praise right and over and over again in the podcast, I've reiterated, I'm not your guru, you know, I'm not the wise monk sitting on the hill that everyone should talk to and listen to. Like, this is your own life. This is my story. Hopefully it it reflects and, and touches you in a way that makes you want to live. And hopefully it's encouraging rather than discouraging because I, I don't see this this point in my life is discouraging um and that may stir some dissonance as well um let me unpack that word for those of you who may not know what cognitive dissonance is and this is where we get into a little bit of uh social science even neurology yes uh reason and rationale have emotions tied to them all right Cognitive dissonance is a emotional reality. You feel cognitive dissonance. Sometimes, most of the time, probably, uh, we're not real conscious of it. So cognitive dissonance, in a nutshell, is that uncomfortable feeling 
that we have between two conflicting thoughts. Uh, Something presents itself that feels a little bit uncomfortable or unsettling, and our brain goes to work very rapidly to solve that cognitive dissonance. This is where uh, 12-step group leaders, um, even addiction counselors, will use words like denial. You're just in denial. If you don't feel bad enough about a relapse, for example, uh, if you don't see the damage you're doing, it will be a, a way of stirring that cognitive dissonance. This is... This is uh, shamey, right? This is producing guilt. Oh yeah, Russ, well what about the guy who's getting plastered drunk and beating up their wife and kids? Yeah, that's uh, you know, you probably should feel guilty about something like that, right? For me, I would be more curious about why that person's in my group or in my office in the first place, right? There's a reason that person's there. Okay, there's a motivation of the heart in that. Because if they're not feeling bad about uh, abuse, um, they wouldn't be there in the office in the first place. And shaming that person, uh, a lot of times, majority of the times, is what a lot of psychologists are going to say. Shaming that person is making it worse. It's not going to make it better. Well, if I could just make them feel worse about themselves, then maybe they'll change. No, what they're doing is a result of feeling really bad about themselves. They don't like, they hate themselves. And then guilt and or shame is how we process that. That's where we feel. Guilt says, I need a course correction. Shame says, I'm a piece of shit and I'll never change. It's really important that we understand the difference between the two. When it comes to our sexual thoughts and feelings around uh, those appetites, some of some of this stuff is really relationally complex. There's history into the connective tissue around those thoughts. Sometimes there's trauma that gets triggered by some of those thoughts and those conclusions. And the way they have us thinking about ourselves can be um, encouraging or devastating. I'm going to push play here on the, on the tape again. And again, starting this podcast was an act of, I felt confident because I hadn't looked at porn for a year. All right, you know? And so there I was in 2012, uh, jerking off to porn, but not really, right? And so that happened. And, you know, did I tell my wife when, when I got back, you know, I thought I did, but I think I just grazed over it, you know, I just kind of like, Hey, I 
looked at some stuff on the computer. I, I don't remember what I told her, but I am afraid of my wife, all right? And some of you guys may relate to that. That doesn't make it okay, but I really didn't want to tell her about that, especially after the affairs, because I had cheated on her. Now, I've not cheated on my wife in in since doing this podcast, all right? Just so you know that. I want to be perfectly honest with you. I am not relapsed in adultery and being with other women. I, I, that is not where how bad it's gotten as far as my current situation. Uh, have I looked at porn recently? Yeah, you know, I have. And... Yeah, that's real, man. That's where I was at. Confessing my sins. Just mentioning that raises the dissonance of guilt and shame, doesn't it? The cognitive dissonance around that word sin, man. There's a there's a topic for you. Reminds me, uh, I got an email recently from a listener who was listening to some past shows and... It was kind of a 12-step guy, and it seems like, right, from the email, and was asking, uh, when was my last uh, mess-up? How long have I been sober? Is there a number of days, weeks, years that I would say I've been sober? And I'll address that, but first, I wanted to take the intimacy disorder approach rather than the addiction approach. Because again, this season, these shows are bouncing off of the idea uh, that psychologists are saying today, stop calling it addiction. Sex addiction and pornography addiction are not in the DSM. Start calling it an intimacy disorder. So, yeah, again... um, I recorded this almost three months ago, and it's no accident that it's being put on the calendar at this time uh, in my story, in my journey. My wife and I are doing much better, uh, even having sex at least once a week lately, because, you know, that's where my incongruence with doing the show came in. You know, we were going uh, months without intimacy without sexual contact without being physically sexual with one another and i share that with you and then those macklemore lyrics come to mind right made my sobriety so fucking public there's no fucking privacy but i i feel like uh i should share that because it's also not because i'm varsity at being mr intimacy or Captain Loving Husband, or Mr. Relationship Guy, or something like that. And that's something I wanted to talk about as well. Um, You start getting honest, right? You start opening up. Uh, Dr. Block, a past guest I had on this show, said that, you know, the definition of intimacy is all that stuff that's going on in your head. You share that with your partner. You share that with other people. That's intimacy. That's the definition of intimacy, right? Uh, you do that, it's it's not always going to be great for you, right? This Your partner may not receive that real well. Uh, does that make sense? I, I heard a guy jokingly say, 
um, on a, a, a radio show, you know, a bunch of dudes, you know, very Howard Sternish in a way. And, and this guy, you know, telling his girlfriend, you don't want to know what I'm thinking about most of the time, right? Um, that's funny because there's something to that, you know? And what if you could live in a relationship where you can share that stuff? What if your own level of maturity was at a place where you could not have to worry about sharing what's going on in your head, right? Or at least on a path of growth and maturity and well-being, mental health, right? When I started on that kind of trajectory, it was a lot easier to share this stuff because I'm moving in a direction. Like my friend Seth Taylor said, I am going in this direction. I'd love you to come with me. This has been part of this conversation too. Um, realizing and being honest about my level of intimacy consciousness. And this is where, like, my friend uh, Mark over there in Boulder, Colorado, talked about this attachment theory. It's called um, attachments are those connections that are made when we're, we're supposed to be made, right? When we're, when we're young and we get healthy connections with mom or dad, you know, and, and a lot of us didn't get that. And so we're not totally aware of our lack of or where we're attaching our good feelings, right? Those the dopamine, oxytocin, the the feelings that we get we're supposed to get from healthy relationships. And you can be someone who says that you're about um, mental health or sobriety and not be conscious of your attachments even if they are more healthier than they were before. Does that make sense? Uh, it's being aware of my level of attachment and disconnection. Uh, rather than having this long-term focused energy on sobriety, right? Just sobriety or keeping yourself pure. And that's part of where I've been as well. And this is before I met Seth Taylor, by the way. This is this has been some therapy and some counseling. And you, you start doing this kind of work. Uh, your, your sobriety or your number count on how long you've been pure or sober, some of that stuff will go by the wayside in your attempt to realize what this is, right? This feeling, this touch this wanting to connect with your body and get out of your head this runaway that's inside you that's inside me that's why that song by the killers runaway is the theme of this podcast today because that's so true right are, are we all just runaways uh that's the detachment all right, the the disconnection, unplug. Um, when we're we're looking to be plugged in, is what's going on there, running away, feeling that open road, warm, safe place, attaching to that, because it feel that that's an attachment. The detachment, yeah, disconnecting can be an attachment. That's what I'm saying what's going on here 
and sometimes, you know, seeking out or having all this energy and being sober and pure can be a big part of the problem, man. And, and this has been where my relationship has had strain. This has been where my friend Seth Taylor's work has been tremendously helpful to me because it takes a whole nother level of courage to face your partner and courageously take ownership of your being yourself in that relationship. It's looking at them in the eyes with love and giving them the news that I'm still, whether or not you are coming with me, I'm still moving in this direction with or without you. You know, that's, that's self-care. That's you loving yourself enough to present yourself to your your mate, your spouse, your partner, right? And you single folks, again, this is thinking about a possible relationship in the future. That's what this looks like, is getting yourself healthy. I'm reminded of that analogy that happens when you get on a flight and they tell you, you know, in the event of an emergency, put on your oxygen mask first and then help out your child or your neighbor or the person next to you, right? There's something to that. Because if you're dead, you're not able to help. If you're dead, reminds me of that TV show, The Walking Dead, right? There's just a lot of relationship zombies walking around. You know, it looks like a relationship, but it's a, it's a zombie and it needs a headshot. And that's one of the big fears, isn't it? If I kill this dead thing walking around, will there still be life left? That's why I like that show, The Walking Dead, because it demonstrates hope in a hopeless situation. And there is hope, man. Some of you guys are in really jacked up relationships. And I'm here to tell you from experience that, that there's hope. And if you're a single person and sometimes you feel alone in a crowd of people, even people you would call your friends. Feeling alone is is something that I get too. Man, I get that. I refer to confidence. The lone ranger comes to mind, right? This confident loner, uh, James Dean. Uh, I'm going way back. This is even before my time, right? But that rebel without a cause, you know, this, there's something to, there's like sexiness to the, the loner, the rebel, you know, um, that's in me, you know, that's in me, the con man, confidence man is what that means. Con man. It's short for confidence, man. Um, Liar, scammer, I've had to work through my armor and my running away in not disclosing everything and hiding, mostly from my wife and my family. And sharing with you what I share here, this was me being just raw, honest, open me. It felt good, man. It felt good. It was really via my sobriety feeling a certain level of value 
in myself. And you all probably heard some of that in the recording and how the show was birthed out of some of that. The show was birthed out of me um, seeing some victory, to use that word, and, and really compassion towards others who, who may be struggling like I was. And that's where my relationship with the audience unfolded, because this wasn't just me writing in a journal and reading it to myself for myself, but it was going out there in the world and started to gain a life of its own. I started this blog, video, or audio blog, you know. I did some videos, too, back in the day on YouTube. Um, but, but this thing, uh, uh, the audio blog that ASI is, I didn't know people would listen to it. But when people did, I had my heart blew up in, in care for these folks who had been through what I'd been through. Like, I wasn't alone, you know, I knew that, but I had no idea the the magnitude of, of people who suffer and struggle with this. So to answer the emailer's question, and... You know, from a recovery background, man, I could see how some people could respond with, uh, you're just making excuses, right? Like that, that pops in my head. I, I really don't care uh, what you think. And I do love and care about you. Sincerely, I do. But it's not so simple to say that this is that black and white, right? What about your relationship with your audience now, Russ? You know, that that comes to mind. You're s- letting people down. Um, am I? Yeah, I suppose if you have a nutsy, boltsy approach to behavior, this new direction I'm taking the show in is going to stir some dissonance, right? And it's going to trigger you some. Because of that ego stuff that's kind of woven in uh, sobriety or recovery culture. And yeah, some of that may work for chemical dependency, but this is something else, all right? And this attitude of, this is the date that you became no longer pure or no longer sober, right? It's more complex than that. It really is. And I'll be honest, putting a lot of weight on counting your days and your number or days, months, years of sobriety, it's it's unhelpful long term. It really is. And part of the reason is because it feeds our ego, you know? You're either pure or you're polluted, Russ. Which one is it? I need to know if I'm going to follow you. Uh, is something I've said from the beginning. Don't follow me. I'm following Jesus, all right? And learning what that means. That's my theological, spiritual life is, is unwinding. And that relationship that I have with God, I follow Christ. Don't follow me. I'm just a dude. I'm a mess, you know? I'm just another human like yourself who's on a path, who's on a journey, going on a pilgrimage, all right? And a big part of this distrust that we have for other humans is that we pretend like we don't get wounds on our feet along the way, all right? In other words, we're not good at having folks in our corner we can tell our secrets to, our deep hurts and our deep longings. 
And some of this, some of the research I've done is this is cultural, man. This is some of the water we breathe. We are very tribal. I need to know if you're in or you're out, buddy. Because if I'm going to align myself with you, I need to know it's safe. There. That is intimacy stuff right there. There's some intimacy disorder as a cultural norm in our Western society. I mean, here in my country, just look at the last election, for example. Two people shouting at each other and putting each other down and saying how the other person is wrong and I'm right. That is part of our culture. The word politician is supposed to be policymaker, right? And these folks are supposed to be solving problems rather than making the other person the problem. When we demonize the other, nothing gets solved. The policies are on the table and folks are not able to communicate. And these are supposed to be professionals. That's, that's a cultural ill, relationally. Having a more inclusive attitude towards the other, working to understand the other rather than put them in a place where you can evaluate or understand their level of safety. Man, there's not a whole lot of level of safety out there, all right? You, you take people how they are. You get to know them. And that's getting to know people. That's intimacy as well. Um, have I been compulsively masturbating and lying about it since 2012? No. All right. To put your mind and maybe heart at ease some there. After that incident in 2012, I became conscious of this little video window that I have in my pocket all the time. And yes, it's protected by some software through T-Mobile that I never did turn off, right? Like child safety stuff, right, 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 that's in your phone. Uh, you can go in and switch it off. I didn't, but I also found ways around it. Um, was it because I was investigating for the show or because I'm a horny bastard or because I'm sinful or because I relapsed and all these words we use to tag ourselves? I let myself do those things and refused to wallow in the shame of it. All right. Was there some guilt involved? Yeah, you know, guilt is a normal, healthy human emotion, but that guilt brings us to a place of hopefully curiosity rather than shame, all right? And shame being this attitude of thinking of your identity as I'm a piece of shit because you're not a piece of shit. You're a person on a journey. And for some of you maybe thinking, oh, you're just giving yourself a break, Russ. You're just in denial, see? That's just in denial talk right there. And again, we get into that Pharisee of the 12-step um, language, all right? And that also is tribalism and disconnection. It's separating yourself from the other that you don't understand and using words like denial to put that person in their place. I get it, man. I've been there. I've done that. There was a point in doing this podcast, and I talked about it some years ago, 
where I started realizing I don't have to make everything public. Like I really did put too much blood on the page, so to speak, in, in some of those early shows because I didn't have a super healthy, trustworthy, at least from my perspective, um, folks around me that cared for my heart well. I I have that now. I will say this publicly. Uh, in August, I went through a phase that started to look like compulsion that kind of freaked me out some. And then, again, stopped right? Um, masturbation uh, to orgasm in, in that time. And it's funny how, again, going back to my story, it happened in August, which was also the time my wife went out of town that time. Was this an echo from 2012? A time when I felt lonely. I felt misunderstood. Our marriage wasn't going well. Uh, this is this is a better way of understanding your compulsion. But have I been compulsive, like compulsive, compulsive since 2012? No, no. Uh, again, I'm not trying to be Mr. Wise Monk here, uh, getting false props and praise, right? Because I don't think that's helping you, the listener. And I that's why this show exists. You know, I had to re-examine why I even do this thing. So I'll leave you with where I'm at right now, and then we'll get into, uh, again, what I recorded. And then maybe you could uh, hear some of the growth since then, since I posted this. And, and this growth wasn't just, you know, waiting around for it to grow. It was birthed out of some work I had to do in this area of intimacy. So rather than using uh, recovery language, I'm going to use some language from uh, EMDR. All right, this EMDR therapy that I've been going through. Uh, I'm trying to integrate three parts of me. Um, one of them is the guy who's speaking now, the 49-year-old me, middle-aged white guy, just trying to you know pay my bills and love my wife and be a dad. Uh, be a friend to my friends, um, be a, be a brother, be a son for my dad. And, you know, even my stepmom, um, I have step siblings. Uh, that's, that's the me that lives in the now in the present. But some of the me that raises his head in the present, and it's not that it's bad or, or anything, but there's a, there's another me there's a me that's trapped in my heart somewhere that's about 17 years old and he's hurt and he's rebellious he's also very creative he has a he has a lot of confidence he does he has a big ego um is that negative i don't i don't know it's just that he does he's used it to survive um that's teenage me he's got hair halfway down his back, you know. he's He looks like a metalhead, kind of punk rock kind of guy. He's wearing a Metallica shirt. He's got a leather wallet on a chain with a leather jacket. And underneath this very crusty, solid metal exterior is a, is a pretty tender heart. 
in that kid, you know? Um, he's, he's sensitive. He's artistic. He, he likes art. He likes creating things. He's also passionate. And, and he actually likes romance. You know, some shit got fucked up in him. But he, he is, he's a romantic. He, he really is. And then there's Rusty. And, and Rusty's got red hair. He's around six to nine years old. Um, and he just wants to play. And he wants to feel safe. He really does. He doesn't want to be afraid of someone coming in and getting him or disrupting the place where he lives or hurting him deep inside. He wants to know that there's a safe place for him to just be. To just be little and trusting and laughing and, you know, loving his animals. He loves animals. <laughs> this, this little uh, rusty kid. All right. I think I referred to him in some of these shows where I talked about my prayer life today. Just crawling up in, in God's lap. Sometimes I picture and visualize myself doing that's rusty. He values very highly safety. Like all kids, man, all kids should be safe. That should be something we, we should value for our kids, right? All kids, including that little boy, that little girl, you, that's lurking inside your heart. Because like you, Rusty, um, he also was wounded and has a hard time coming out. He's shy. He is. Uh, the 17-year-old me, not shy a bit. He's got a big ego and he'll put himself out there. The 6- to 9-year-old Rusty me, he's shy. He's shy. He doesn't know about letting you in, man. He don't know if you're safe. He's he's just going to play. He's going to go about his business. But he's tender. And he needs a hug. He needs a hug every so often, you know? He just needs to know that it's it's going to be okay. And that's where I'm at now, you know? And I'm integrating those three parts of myself working to make them one and not saying I'm schizophrenic or I have some kind of split personality thing going on I don't know maybe I do uh, right that's not it's not like that this is some this is therapy that's uh, been helping me through some of my PTSD and some of my depression it's uh it's trauma therapy uh on medication now and this medication seems to, I don't know, is it working? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I really don't, I can't really see too much difference since I started it. Um, but yeah, been been on a, a depression med and it's been, been helping me through, you know, but I, again, is it the weather? It's springtime, the sun's out. Like we went through months of gray and rain. So there's something to that as well. Um, but my depression doesn't doesn't look like sadness. And sometimes if I could feel sad and cry, that would be a plus. 
And some of you maybe dealing with depression know what I'm talking about. You know, being able to break down in tears would be a good day when you're depressed. It's not necessarily sadness. It's when you just don't feel anything. And that's some of why I haven't put a lot of these shows up. You know, I haven't felt like doing it. And, uh, but being honest is also a thing, right? There's situational attributes and that's me getting out from under my intimacy disorder. I'll leave it at that and close out the show with the rest of that pouring out that I did three months ago. And maybe you can see some differences from what I just shared and how it, this integration, the soul integration, you could call it is, uh, is helping and working, uh, lead you out and back in with this bumper and, uh, say goodbye springtime Russ here in March 2018 after this bump we'll go back to January Russ in somewhat of turmoil as giving birth to some of these like being shown an x-ray right of some things that are crawling around inside there and then being conscious of the oh What's what's that? What's that going on in there? That's where I was at when what you're about to hear was being recorded. Uh, love you guys. Bye. We can't wait till tomorrow. No, we're caught up in the appeal, baby. Why you wanna hide it? It's the last thing on my mind. Why you wanna hide it? Turn the engine over and my body just comes. I looked at porn recently yeah you know I have and the sick thing about it and this is where I'm at all right the sick thing about it is that I'm not sitting there jerking off and having all this pleasure sort of feelings towards it like I did in the past I've looked at it in and I've masturbated but again like I don't, this is really hard to explain, all right, because it's not the same as it was. As a matter of fact, I wish it was the same as it was. Isn't that sick and gross? Like, I I went back looking for it for a reason, and that's why I'm continuing to do this podcast and why I'm uh, telling you guys all this. Now, was it, you know, every week, every month? Like, how what happened after 2012, Russ? Because uh, you said you had this victory still. And I did, you know? And and the fact that going to look at porn felt like... Here's, here's what it felt like. To, to use it in the relationship terms. My relationship with pornography was sort of like this. Um, I wanted to call back this ex-girlfriend of mine. And... And she wouldn't take my calls, right? Uh, 
like sitting there in front of a screen with my genitals in my hand and feeling like, oh God, like this isn't working. Like what the fuck, man? This isn't working. What the hell is wrong with me? Um, that had suicidal thoughts started. And so that's where I started seeing a therapist. Uh, back in, and I talked about that in some past podcasts. Hey, I wanted to see a therapist. You know, I saw some images on Twitter. I think I brushed over that. I, I think I told you, uh, I'm telling you more in depth what I've said in, in some past shows. I think in, in past shows, I, I grazed over it with a, uh, you know, porn isn't, porn doesn't like me anymore or something like that. I can't remember. But I don't want to, you know, I had some slips. I heard another podcaster friend of mine use those words like, oh, I had some slips. You know, we, we tend to give ourselves this, this break, as it were. Uh, again, it's, you know, attaching the shame to it, like my friend Seth said, it gives it this negative charge. Um, my friend Scott, who I had on the podcast before, said, yeah, I, I use porn and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Uh, my friend Jeff Becker talking about, uh, you know, using porn, not feeling bad about it. Uh, my friend Derek having this, him and Jeff having this kind of um, understanding with their wives. Their wives don't like it, but that's kind of where they're at. Um, Jeff going, I don't like that I do this. And, and he actually went to White Raven Center, which didn't have the same success with that that Seth did uh, but still you know like okay why am I doing this but these guys having their relationship with this thing this pornography thing and it's different than mine and yours you listener if you're compulsively and compulsively using pornography or or having you know just shallow sexual encounters uh, with with women, with people, um, or or uh, prostitutes, whatever whatever you're doing, I, man, I'm glad you're listening, and I understand that struggle, and I hope you don't think I'm some kind of liar or I was trying to make myself look better uh, to you, the audience. Then then you know most of this had to do with my wife, and I finally told her in in therapist's office, and that's kind of where we're at, you know. Uh, right now, this is another thing with my current situation. My marriage is not doing really well. And, and a lot of that has to do with how we've done our life in the past and why our relationship moved with the, the dance and me changing the dance through, through not just seeking sobriety, but trying to get better, you know? trying to get better and not ignoring my my wounds of the past i tried to stuff all of my trauma my past trauma in a, in a little drawer and pretend like it wasn't there for a lot of years and then doing this podcast i got really good at uh being sober you know 
<laughs> I was taught that's that's another thing. I know I talked about some of my criticisms with 12-step and demonizing alcohol and how I had an issue with that. Man, I love 12-step. Again, I'm not anti-12-step, all right? I think when 12-step works well, it changes people's lives. It has saved people's lives. When the leaders are humble, man, that, that stuff really does work. But, again... Getting to the depths of your relationship with chemicals. Because those of you who don't know my story, and maybe this is the first show you're hearing, or the first time you're understanding this, me coming out with all this stuff, why are you saying all this, Russ? Um, I, I started with alcohol, right? I uh, drank myself to death when I was 16. Uh, went to rehab for alcohol. Uh, got into really hard drugs. Methamphetamine, crack cocaine been through some recovery for that and though so getting sober sells and some of you you're, you're listening to the show and you're mad at me or you're there's some emotion coming up disappointment I, I don't know uh, what, what the hell am I listening to this guy for maybe there's that there um, what I want you to hear and what I want you to understand from my heart, the message that I want to bring forth here is really dealing with the roots of your shit. All right? This roots first approach that I've talked about um, is, is so incredibly important because sobriety sells. And getting good at sobriety, um, it, can, it, it can leave some devastating consequences when your chemical romances or like my situation with pornography use, when that thing doesn't do it for you like it used to, uh, you know, for those of you who've had suicidal thoughts and even actions, man, I feel you. And that stuff is, is not something to mess with. Um, National Suicide Hotline uh, is a is a number you can Google, and there's folks there that can hook you up with a therapist, even if you don't have money. Part of the reason I'm on this journey that I'm on now is because I called that number. All right, now was I ready to put a gun in my mouth and blow my brains out? No, <laughs> right. To be honest, um, I was struggling with these these weird thoughts. Um, as I drove around, you know, the, these itchy kind of thoughts that were scary. And so, no, I wasn't ready to put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger. I wasn't even to the place where I was back when, when the sexual compulsive behavior was really bad. When I was masturbating to porn and seeing prostitutes uh, weekly, you know, daily sometimes, there was a point where I, I was really close to ending my life and that's when I really felt this spiritual sense of God being there with me in the van you know praying steer tears dreaming streaming down my face like God where are you does anybody give us you don't care no one cares I'd be better off dead I really felt that way and came very close to killing myself and that was that little voice, you know, from back somewhere in my spirit that said, just one more day, you know, let's give it one more day. Um, 
so yeah, I called that line and I, uh, I got hooked up with a, a place that helps uh, male survivors of childhood sexual assault. So that's in my past. And that is some of my roots of uh, this intimacy disorder. Getting close to my wife, even. Um, and a lot of you have relationships with your spouse that are functional. You know, they function in a way that... And not everyone's relationship is healthy, right? Everyone's got stuff. Every, no one's relationship is perfect. Uh, but for some of us, man, we've got we've got big things buried in deep places. You know, we've got bones in closets that that aren't. You know, and we go home to our spouse and we pretend like everything's okay when it's not. Man, I did that for years. I wore a mask and I played pretend. And now that I am just on this journey of healing and completely honest and completely, and I, you know, I can't even say that, right? Like with my wife, was I completely honest about my relationship with pornography? No, I wasn't because I was scared of her. And the fact that I was scared of her is a thing that I'm addressing now. And we got into counseling together. Um, we went through two or three sessions and my wife uh, decided to, to stop going to, to the counseling. And then that's where we're at now, you know. So maybe uh, those of you who pray could pray that uh, she comes back to counseling with me. That would be great. But I'm not stopping there, all right? I'm going to continue to heal for me. You know, the drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, and even the pornography use. I, I started this podcast. I remember, I think it was episode two. I played that song by Hoopastank, right? Uh, and the reason is you. And the reason is you. And I, had, I was in tears doing that podcast and thinking about my wife. I really wanted to be sober for her. But, you know, being sober for her wasn't enough. I, I gotta be sober, not just sober, right? I, I need to be mentally healthy, um, present, not disassociating, right, myself. Uh, I need to be healthy Russ Shaw in all situations, and I gotta do that for Russ Shaw, all right? And yes, I believe in God. I believe Jesus is there. And God is my strength in, in this troubled time. The lighthouse. But a lot of that stuff, you know, there's this there's this kind of Jesus save me. Like Jesus is going to pull up in some pickup truck and, and, and pick me up like I'm a hitchhiker on the lonely road of faith or whatever. Right? Like this, there's some bullshit to that. All right? Not that God doesn't care about you. Not that God isn't there in the storms of life, because I really believe that that God is there, that higher power is there. But your relationship with God is not, um, he's going to rescue you. Um, Savior 
is a military term, all right? I wanted to put that out there. Like there's this there's this savior thing in a lot of Christians, and that's why a lot of Christians don't deal with the roots of their stuff, is because we're constantly thinking that something's gonna come from outside and scoop us up and save us, and that's just not the truth, man. That's not the truth. The cross is evidence that suffering is part of the deal, right? Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he's like, will you, you know, will you let this cup pass? But not my will, but thine will be done. Um, that's a hard, that's a hard message. Is my marriage going to make it? I don't know. You know, I've said on this show before to listeners that, you know, if both of you aren't willing to get help and, and say, I need to work on me, you know, it's when you go in and get help because you need help for your stuff and she or he, your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, that person you're in relationship with, that is your all and your everything, right? Your, your, your life partner, your soulmate, whatever, right? When they go in and they get help for them, not for you, not for making this thing better, not even for Jesus, all right? I think God, you know, wants, oh, you, you got to, that's another thing, right? That's a religion thing. Like, oh, I got to clean myself up and, and be this perfect thing for God to accept me. That's not, that's not true. That's part of why I'm a Christian, you know, that why I, I lean into the worldview. I think I like the, the identifying myself as a Christ follower more. I'm a Christ follower. Um, a Jesus follower. Christian is, ugh, that word's got so much baggage. But anyway, my point is the prodigal son, right? Does he go get washed up out of the pig shit and the stink and the stank and come to the father? The father runs to him. You know, the running father story. We love to use the prodigal son. I say prodigal son, you know what I'm talking about usually. If you don't, Google it, right? But I like the running father better because that father runs to that son, wraps his arms around him. We are in the presence of God right now. Jesus said the kingdom of is here, right? This whole idea of kingdom living or that you have to clean yourself up to join the kingdom is is just, it's just not true. You're a mago day. You're the image of God. The image of God is within you. You are good at your core roots, you know? All of this Calvinist, you know, we're just piles of shit. And I've said that on this podcast, and I was going to Mars Hill at the time, is heavy Calvinist theology, and this, you know, we're all pieces of crap, and it's just... You know, you, you don't grow from there. You can grow out of it, that's for sure. I, I've dealt with that too. My life has been shit. And some pretty beautiful things have grown from some of the shit, man. So, I, I hope you understand that, uh, you know, me sharing this, this has been my, my situation, my... Uh, 
where I've been at and and I, I want to I said some things on punk theology and and I want to be perfectly clear about my purity right because you know I'm not I'm no freaking angel and while I'd love to say that I haven't used pornography um, you know uh, pornography's used me over the years uh, since 2012 yeah I haven't been mr. pure and even before that, for seven years, when I hadn't looked at masturbated or any of that stuff, um, was I Mr. Pure then? I wouldn't have called myself Mr. Pure. I don't, again, the word purity, it's like bleach, all right? It can clean stuff on the surface and make things look really shiny up top. But again, if, if you've got the courage to get to the roots of your hurts, of your pains. Um, so, to answer the third question, uh, my story and what's next, what's coming up in episode two, in future episodes of this podcast, um, from a blogging, Russ's blogging standpoint, um, shifting my want-tos. Why did I keep looking into this weird screen that everyone has in their pocket nowadays um, searching for for this old girlfriend who really isn't interested in me anymore right like why was it that I wanted to look to that for arousal uh, to maybe make masturbation faster uh, you know what, what, what was I doing what, what, what's up with that yeah, good question. So that's where I'm going. That's where I'm at. And and, and so I started a kind of therapy called EMDR. Uh, what this is, I have to look it up because I keep forgetting uh, how it's, <laughs> what, what the acronym stands for. It's very sciencey. Uh, it's very uh, psychological. But for me, it also has some spiritual ramifications. Uh, it's very much like Seth Taylor talks about with uh, uh, RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy. Uh, some of the stuff he talks about with White Raven Center, uh, similar in how it it's body work. Right? It gets into your body. This stuff isn't just in your head. Well, it's all in your head, Russ. It's a state of mind. You just got to get the porno out of your head. You know, it's a neurological. Um, neurology is more than just up in your brain it's in your body um, EMDR stands for uh, eye movement desensitization okay let's try that again eye movement desensitization and reprocessing um, it's an integrative approach of psychotherapy uh, that has been extensively researched and proven effective in the treatment of trauma. EMDR is a set of standard protocols that incorporates elements from many different treatment approaches. Um, just going into this therapy is scary for me because uh, I have... 
all three of the reasons that people go to get EMDR treatment. I, I have all three. Some people just go for one, right? My friend John talked about some of this in Punk Theology. He's been going through EMDR, and, and he says it's, it's emotionally exhaustive. Um, I was just in a session before I recorded this, and part of that session was why I'm recording this, because I feel confident in sharing with you guys my story after going through this just today. You know, I, I thought it would be worse. I thought I might have to curl into a ball and have a tissue and, a, you know, but, but no, it's, it was actually really good today. Um, so the three things that people go to EMDR for, uh, and I watched some YouTube videos on it. Like I really wanted to know about it. That's kind of who I am. I'm a researcher. I geeked out on it. My wife, uh, she was out Christmas shopping or something with friends, and I was like just on the computer researching EMDR and watching just about every YouTube video I could on it. And so, because that's what I do sometimes. Like, if I'm going to do this, I want to know what the heck's going on. What kind of weird voodoo shit am I signing up for? Uh, it's not voodoo shit, by the way. It's actually, there's a lot of really good outcomes and really good stories and there's a lot of people that have seen a lot of healing um, as a result of this therapy. EMDR, okay, again, the three things, I know, alright, I'm back on page, right? Um, the three things that people go to EMDR for, number one is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, and this can be childhood or uh, people that go to like Iraq, right? Like people that have been in warlike situations. That means um, if you have been in a life-threatening situation. Now, I have another one, another reason. Uh, so childhood abuse, whether that's sexual abuse or physical abuse, um, these are also reasons people seek uh, EMDR therapy. Uh, another one is neglect. Um, so that's my story, man. As a kid, uh, I, I had... Uh, my parents got divorced when I was about seven years old. I grew up pretty normal, middle class, Seattle, kind of white kid, you know, suburbs of Seattle. You know, my dad worked for Boeing, and we lived in North Seattle for a while. And then we moved to Bellingham, uh, and then... Uh, my mom had some guy coming over when my dad was working nights. I remember actually telling my dad that, who's this guy coming over, right? And hearing funny noises from the bedroom and stuff like that, you know? I mean, this was, this was me as a kid trying to understand, you know, my situation. And pretty soon, dad wasn't coming home anymore. And dad got an apartment. And mom and dad split up. And... I sort of felt like, over time, long story short, you know, instead of me being this object that people fight over, right? There's custody battles sometimes. Um, I felt the opposite. Like, uh, I felt kind of like the kid who, like, no, you take him, right? Like, that was that's kind of how I felt as a kid. It's kind of pushed back and forth. And this could have just been me. Like, I'm not trying to diss my folks. My dad and mom did the best they could um, with their situation. Like, their lives weren't rosy. 
you know, uh, either. Uh, they had uh, pains and traumas in their own past, and they were trying to work out their relationship, and, 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 and it didn't go so well, right? And they got divorced when I was seven years old, and I was a latchkey kid. Uh, my mom uh, did the best she could to raise me, but we lived in Snohomish, and she caught the bus and the train and everything to get to work on time, and, and I was a latchkey kid, and I didn't have anyone raising me, uh, you know, for a long period of time, and so I, yeah, I, I raised myself, kind of, um, kept myself entertained, and and uh, was abused by a kid in the neighborhood. All right, and, and I was even abused before that by a babysitter. I had sexually abused twice, so I hit the fucked up lottery on that one, right? That was my childhood. Um, later on, I got involved with drugs and, and really hard drugs and some really dark, scary people. I quit high school. Uh, I drank myself to death again when I was 16, but that was, that was, you know, it got worse after that as far as my, the crowd I was hanging out with. Um, I, uh, I was in life or death situations, uh, as a drug dealer. I moved a lot of dope, uh, crack cocaine, methamphetamine. I have stories and shit that I've been through in my mind um, things that I've seen in that world that uh, are traumatic and that, that, that won't leave my head, you know, <laughs> my body. Uh, the, 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 so my, my therapist said these are uh, what she calls uh, I have complex trauma. And, and that's what I'm going through, right? So, so I'm in this place now where I'm... I'm uh, unwinding some of this complex trauma in my life and my wife and I um, what were our future look like uh, was I attracted to her because she you know she was one of the first people that gave a shit about me and she um, we really loved each other you know in the early time, she she is such an amazing person, and I love her so much. And and the fact that I didn't do this kind of thing earlier wasn't fair to her. Like I wish I could have done this therapy a lot earlier, because it would have saved both of us a lot of pain. Um, my cheating on her, my affairs that I had, seeing prostitutes for years. She is still really scared that I'm still out there cheating on her. And I don't blame her for that. I don't blame her for that. Not trusting me. Man, it's really difficult for her. And so I don't know if she's going to stick with me or not through this, you know? And, and either way, I have to be okay with that moving forward. It's hard. And I've shed a lot of tears in the last month or so. This is also the last month in December. Um, December was the month my mom died a year ago. And that was another one, you know. Um, going through that. My mom is always, and she even was there with my wife and I trying to keep us when we were screaming at each other and yelling at each other and, and all of through that, my mom was there through that and listening to us and not picking sides, which she was really good at. 
Um, she really loves Dana and loved Dana through this. And my mom's not here anymore, you know. My mom had a... She had dementia really bad. And, and, and her body gave out a year ago. And, and my wife isn't my mom, you know. I think that there was some of that. Seth talks about that being this, you know, that's I so resonated with that when Seth said that, about that part in his book. He wrote this book called Feels Like Redemption. Um, but he talks about that in the book where he said, he said, you know, looking at his wife's breast and, and, and the baby feeding off the breast and him asking her, Do, when I want sex, does it feel sort of like that, right? So my wife's not my mom. And I think that I look to her like a mommy figure to to discipline me and to be the uh, the like the yeah, it's sick, I know, but like the mommy figure in my life. Like she'll straighten me out. Um she uh, hits me when I'm bad kind of thing. And not in a weird sex way, all right? You know what I'm saying, guys? Like some of you you know that if you tell your wife certain things, she's going to get very upset and it's going to be tears and fighting for a while. Uh, and some of that, you know, some of that you got to work through. And, and I'm doing the best to work through that. And so moving forward, um, what do I have to share with you on the next, the next episodes? Letting go you know letting go am I letting go of my marriage I don't know I hope not um, I pray that my wife and I can work through this and I want to leave the song the, I want to leave this uh, episode with a song um, One Republic I can't remember uh ASI247.org is the website for this podcast. There's a there's a Spotify playlist. If you listen to Spotify, uh, you can search ASI Podcast. And the I play bumpers, and I have to say that as legal stuff, right? As promo bumpers, and and uh, this song um, touches my heart. And and I pray that some of you out there, maybe some of this is resonating your situation with your spouse and actually having to come clean with her and tell her the depths of, of this, you know, the roots of this porn thing. Uh, love you guys. I mean that sincerely and until the next blog post. And I want to treat this like a blog post. Uh, it's less complicated that way and it's easier to, to do and put up. Uh, Till next time, bye.